0: Closer Look is a public affairs presentation. Views and opinions of the guests don't always
1: reflect the views of the ministry, and some topics aren't suitable for children. K-Love is committed to community. Closer Look continues with a look at local agencies, events, and issues.
0: Welcome to Closer Look. I'm Ed Linane here in Washington. We are at the Capitol Hill office of Congressman Barry Loudermilk, who represents Georgia's 11th district. The congressman serves on the Financial Services Committee and the House Administration Committee, also serves on the Joint Commission on the Library. He's married to Desiree. Together, they've got three grown kids and three, now maybe four, grandchildren on the way. That's right. Congratulations. Thank you. Congressman, thanks for taking the time out to talk with us
1: today. My pleasure.
0: All right. So you were elected to Congress uh, back in 2014. Before that, you served in the Georgia State House. You started and ran your own information tech company. Served in the United States Air Force. Uh, let's talk about what aspects of your background are serving you well now here in Congress.
1: Well, you know, a lot of the the. Things that we did in the state legislature, uh, as far as legislative process, is, is important here, just understanding the way government is supposed to work, at least. Um, but from a policy standpoint, um, surprisingly enough, my IT background is playing into a lot of the, the legislation that we're working on here. Cybersecurity is one of the most critical and most important issues that the federal government is uh, is. should be taking on that we're trying to get uh, the federal government to move on Um, as well as uh, financial technology. When you look at banking and the banking industry, it is really evolving into a high tech industry. And so I'm one of a handful of, uh, uh, members of congress that actually has a background in it at least i know the acronyms mm-hmm. of the industry right <laughs> um and especially when it comes to uh cyber security um regulations how to streamline those to make sure that the data that is being acquired uh by the government is we're only that the government's only acquiring the data that it needs to start with but that it also that it does have is secure
0: what were some of the challenges for you when you made the jump from the State House to Congress? Let's also talk about some of your goals in coming to Washington?
1: Well, it's a it's a it's a big difference. Um, in the state legislature in Georgia, you're in session for 40 days. So you have a deadline to get things done. And so you know in that 40 legislative day process, because of recesses and weekends, that usually takes about three months. but you have, That target to get what you're going to get done in that time period. So things tend to move more efficiently than they do here. I have a piece of legislation that I finally passed earlier this year um, that took me four years to get through that was non-controversial. It was simply uh, uh, Cobb County in Georgia had a historic property that was used during the Battle of Kennesaw Mountain that they wanted to donate to the National Park Service, Kennesaw Mountain National Battlefield Park. They just wanted to donate it to it. I introduced legislation as my predecessor had, passed the House on multiple occasions, would go to the Senate and could never make its way through the Senate because Mm. someone in the other party would always put a hold on it because they wanted to use it for leverage for something else in the future, and then it never gets done. This is the surprising aspect of this place because we're here full time. There is never a deadline that you have to meet to get things done, so things just tend to go on and on and on. Even those things that seem to be the simplest bills that we, literally a bill of a land transfer like that in the state legislature would have been done in the first two weeks that we were in in session. Here, we were pretty fortunate to get it done in the four years that I worked on it. All right, let's talk about your district. You've got Atlanta's northern suburbs,
0: Marietta, Ackworth, Smyrna, a lot of people and a lot of growth right over the past right. decades uh, there's that saying that all politics all politics is local so what do people back home consistently tell you is pretty important to them
1: well it, it, that's changed a little bit over time when i first came here if you look at the issues that were Prominent during my first campaign in 2014. They're really different than they are today. One of those was energy independence Uh, I remember during our campaign people were really concerned about our reliance on foreign countries Especially those that were terror supporting countries that we were having to buy energy from So we're basically supporting those countries that were supporting our enemies and so energy independence was a real issue today it is not an issue at all. When you look at the attack on the, uh, the oil fields uh, by Iran, several years ago that would have caused a significant spike in uh, gasoline prices here. We barely saw a blip. The reason is is because what's happened just in that short amount of time is the United States has transitioned to be not only the largest uh, producer of oil in the world, but also the largest exporter, because one of the things that we were were able to do since I've been in Congress is uh, repeal the ban on exporting U.S. oil products. And so what that's done is it's mitigated the Middle East's control over the worldwide oil prices. And so we brought stability there. So we're no longer hearing that as one of the issues. The biggest issue that we continue to hear is about the distrust of government. People don't feel that the government is actually operating in their interest. It's the partisan fighting that you see in Congress, but more importantly, it's the agencies, that people just don't feel that the government is working in their own interest, that government is working in government's interest. And that's one of the things that we've been working on here to try to reform that, is that uh, a lot of people in our government— forget that they actually work for the citizens. The citizens are their bosses, but yet they don't treat them that way. And it's unfortunate that um, we have to intervene on so many cases to get the simplest things done for our constituents. So we are hearing the frustration with government. Um, And the other thing is, can you just focus on getting the things done that are important, not just partisan infighting? Hmm. Can we get an update on
0: the... uh the Sterigenics plant, right? Last I saw, remains closed. A lot of interaction between, even legally, between the plant and, and Cobb County. Right. But you were originally, uh, initially, I should say, reaching out, looking for some EPA answers as well. So what's going on there? Yeah,
1: when this this whole thing came up, uh, we realized this is predominantly a state and local issue, but yet being prepared in case it elevated to a federal issue. Um, I had a staff member that attended every meeting that... Uh, that happened regarding stereogenics met with stereogenics. I was in constant uh, contact with governor Kemp Um, getting prepared in case it did elevate because knowing this place, knowing the federal government, if you can resolve something at the local and state level, it's, you're going to, you're going to be much better off in actually getting a resolution than getting the bureaucracy of the federal government involved. The two concerns we had on the of that is, one, public safety, obviously. If Sterigenics is not meeting the uh, requirements of the state um, as far as what that they were putting out in the atmosphere, we definitely wanted to know that. We also wanted to know to what level the EPA could or would be involved and what are their requirements in all this, should it elevate to an EPA issue. The other thing that didn't get a lot of coverage was... We we took the other approach, first of all, is getting with um, the uh, Food and Drug Administration to find out mm. how important it is for these stereogenic plants to operate. Um, because our concern was, um, is, is shutting down another plant going to have a drastic effect on uh, medical procedures because they do ster- they sterilize the uh, implements used in surgery. And we had heard that there were already surgeries being um, postponed or rescheduled because of the lack of uh, the supply of sterilized implements getting into the operating room. So we wanted to be prepared if something more happened, what would be the impact on that? And so um, it's one of those where you wanna stay ahead of the game, but not interject yourself too much that you just bog down the process any further.
0: You're listening to Closer Look, I'm Ed Linane. We're here in Washington talking with Congressman Barry Loudermilk of Georgia's 11th district. I uh, mentioned to the start you ran your own business. You now serve on the House Financial Services Committee. So when I saw that you proposed an amendment to the Constitution requiring a, a balanced budget, I guess that kind of made sense to me. Uh, <laughs> give us some, some thoughts on that. And is that even possible?
1: Well, um, it, it's, it's a heavy lift, but I think it's imperative that we get to that. The Constitution doesn't require a balanced budget because in the founding of our nation, our founders anticipated that uh, the legislators here would understand the importance of not spending more than you take in. And it wasn't a constitutional requirement because they expected level-headed people to be here and we have the ability to balance the budget. The problem is we haven't done that in decades. Um, And I don't think there is the political will among members of Congress and for a good part of the the populace to actually do what it takes to get out of this tremendous debt, to put in perspective how large our debt really is of $22 trillion because it's such a large number. People really don't understand how massive that is to put it in perspective. If you were to go back to the moment that Jesus was born, okay, that is everything. I don't care what your religious background is. I'm a Christian, but, um, if you live in the United States or you live most anywhere in the world, if you know what today's date in, date is, you know when Jesus was born, right? Our calendar is, is based off that. If you were to go back to the moment that Jesus was born and you put $17,000, let's say, in the first bank of Bethlehem, and 60 seconds later, you went and deposited another another $17,000, and 60 seconds later, deposited another 17000 and you continued to deposit $17,000 every minute, Since Jesus was born, you still couldn't pay off our federal debt today. Wow. That's how massive this debt is. Now, we can get out from under it because of the strength of our economy. First of all, there's no way that we could pay off this debt if you taxed 100% of everyone. There's no way of doing it, especially with the way the economy was. Three or four years ago, we've turned that around. The economy is strong. Revenues are beginning to rise, but still you can't tax enough to pay it off. You have to start cutting your spending, but you can't do it overnight. You have to have a plan to get there. So our amendment would require Congress to, within 10 years of ratification, be on a balanced budget. That puts us on a path which you can reach. You can put yourself on a trajectory by cutting spending, but also rolling back a lot of programs that are handled at the federal level that would be done better and more efficiently if they were handled at the state level, which was the idea of our founders to start with. The only way I think you're going to get there is for a constitutional amendment that requires us to stay in that. Now, it does give some flexibility during wartime, which we've done since the founding of our nation, to go into debt. But it also requires that debt being paid off very quickly as well. Mm. So the further we go down this path, I hope that... um, As we reconstitute a new Congress in a couple of years, there will be more willingness of people, when they understand how massive the debt is, uh, to actually do something about it. Okay, here's something else Um, I noticed you're passionate about, the Article 1 project, right?
0: Launched back in 2016. Main goal to push back in what's called executive outreach, I'm sorry, uh, overreach. Overreach, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's something that uh, I and some others started, because when you go back and you look at uh, the founding of our nation, the ideas of the founding fathers, they had of three separate branches of government. Now, there's a fallacy that is regularly taught today, and you even hear so-called constitutional scholars talk about three separate but equal branches of government. If you go look at the Constitution and you read the Federalist Papers, which was the commentary to go along with it to explain uh, what they meant, there weren't three co-equal branches of government. The legislative branch was given by far the most power, the executive branch the next, and the uh, the judicial branch was purposely made the weakest of all the branches. The problem is, since World War II, that power has shifted all around to where now it is, it is almost like the legislative branch has become the weakest. The executive branch has gained more power and more strength. In fact, uh, prior to World War II, the most powerful elected position in this nation was the Speaker of the House. Only the president during wartime, and so you know you see that has totally shifted, um, and a lot of it isn't just the president, but it's the agencies. What I call the fourth branch of government are all these three-letter agencies that believe they're not accountable to Congress or the people. They they run their own. Their own shows. I've fought EPA on them deciding that track the trailers that go into tractor trailers are self-propelled motorized vehicles, so they can actually uh, regulate them, which is totally outside the law. So these are the types of things that we have to be able to rein in those agencies because the House of Representatives and the Senate are the representatives of the people that that we, as a constitutional republic. The people are ultimately in charge of this nation, and we represent that voice. And so it's restructuring back the, the constitutional balance of powers that re-empower the people. And in the House of Representatives, that changes over every two years for that purpose. And so Article 1 is, is uh, a series of, of uh, l- different pieces of legislation that re-emphasize that balance of power.
0: Uh, just a short time ago, you mentioned your faith background. I noticed you're also a participant in the Congressional Prayer Caucus, something that's probably not typ- typically talked about. But how does that background help you in what you do on a day-to-day basis here?
1: Well, I mean, it's, it's really um, what drives me here. If, if you don't have something to base uh, everything you do on, this place would literally drive you crazy. Um, I have a purpose for being here. Uh, people say you must really love it. You know, there are days that I absolutely hate it um, because of the politics. Because of the, uh, the, the I, I tell people all the time, I hate politics. You think of the word politics. Polly is many and ticks are blood parasites, right? <laughs> so, but I, I love this country. I love what this country was founded upon, on the on freedom, on liberty, on the ability for you to to choose your own path in life, and by just just by your own ability to go out and achieve whatever you want to achieve. I mean, that's why two bicycle mechanics were able to change the world by being the first two to fly. I mean, they achieved what scientists and engineers for years couldn't achieve. They achieved it. Why? Because they had the freedom that this nation brings about. And I believe that God has specifically blessed this nation. But... We have to preserve that freedom. And the natural tendency of government is to not preserve the rights of the people. It's not to preserve the power of the people. The natural progression of government is to take that power away. And we've seen that happen here in Washington, D.C. What is encouraging, though, is the community of believers that are here to support each other. And this, I speak often back home about what I call a spiritual revival really happening in Washington, D.C., There is a church service that happens every Wednesday night here in the Capitol. Uh, It's been going on ever since I've been here. Uh, It's been called the Jefferson Gathering because Thomas Jefferson actually started that uh, when he was uh, vice president. And as the vice president, he's a president over the Senate, so he spent some time at the Capitol and started a church service here. It's still going on today. There are dozens of Bible studies for members of Congress, for staff members to attend every week. We have ministers that uh, come in and pray Uh, On a weekly basis, I I ran into one yesterday in the hallway. He said, hey, is there something we can pray for you about? And I I gave him some some, uh, things to pray about. We stood in the hallway and prayed. I have uh, uh, two that come in our office on a weekly basis, five, ten minutes just to pray about things. Um, And then I started a program that's been very successful with our folks back home. And his reason is I've had some tragic events in my life um, since I've been here. Many people are aware of the, uh, the shooting on the baseball field. I was on the field. I got shot at multiple times. Uh, spent most of the time 10 feet away from one of our colleagues who was bleeding to death, who followed me outside the field, was shot in the back. Bullet came out of his chest, and I spent most of that time trying to get to him. Um, when I was at home, I got shot at back home. Hmm. My wife and I were hit by in uh, uh, by a car. We were driving back to D.C. in a separate event. A uh, guy ran into the back of us doing 110 miles an hour, sent our car flipping down the interstate. Shouldn't have lived through it. Um, then I was in a train wreck. I mean, all of these instances um, are life-changing, one life-changing event for anyone. In and, and this period of time, for some reason, God allowed us to go through these. And he was divinely there protecting us. But the one thing I tell people is when I was, I was pinned down by this shed behind an SUV getting shot at multiple times, I never once thought, wait till I get back to Capitol Hill because I'm going to pass a law. When we were waiting on the side of the interstate for an ambulance to pick us up after our car wreck, I never thought, boy, you wait till I go pass a bill. The same thing when I got shot at back home, same thing on a train wreck. And the reason is because on that baseball field, that shooter was already violating dozens and dozens of state and federal laws. Speeding and distracted driving is already illegal. Shooting at somebody in their car is illegal, and crossing over railroad uh, crossing guards is illegal. There's not a law that we could pass would change any of those instances because the people who were involved had no respect for the law that was there. The shooter on the baseball field was there to commit the worst of crimes, murder. Another law would have not made a difference because he had zero respect for the law. Washington can't fix the major issues that are facing our nation. We can when it comes to economy, immigration, uh, national defense. But the real issues that are facing Americans that have Americans concerned are issues with our culture. And there's nothing that we can do to, to change people's hearts that's our pastors back home. That's the the ones who lead the nonprofits. So we started bringing them to Washington D.C. for three days to spend three days with us here, showing them the how it was the church, it was the pastors that actually formulated this nation, even during the American Revolution, and their influence was there. Why? Because as John Adams said, our Constitution is for religious and moral people. It is wholly inadequate for the government of any other. When you have a moral society, you respect the rights of others. So you don't have to have a large oppressive government to protect those rights. When you have an immoral society, you have to have a larger government that is more oppressive. And so... um if we really want to change the face of America is to re-empower those who are the influencers of culture. And so we've taken that project on. We brought two groups of pastors up already. We'll bring our next group up this spring. And the results have been phenomenal. Churches are working together back home. They're actually getting involved in local community, addressing things such as third grade reading programs, uh, the lack of uh, uh, entry level housing. It is amazing what the churches are doing by bonding together, multi-denominational, multicultural churches to address issues in the community. That's really how you change the face of this nation.
0: Mm. Well, final question. Like most members of Congress, you put a lot of miles in. You want to talk about the balance for you uh, between home life and Washington (laughs) life? How's that working for
1: you? That is a challenge, and I'm one of the fortunate ones. Um, Before I ran for Congress, um, my children were grown. Um, One was already married. Uh, The other two were adults. One was serving in the Army and working uh, with the Army National Guard, and he had a full-time job. My daughter was... uh, uh, was uh, working as well. And since then she's been married. So we're empty nesters. Um, And so I'm also fortunate in that I'm an hour and 15 minute flight from home. And so my wife is able to come up with me most weeks. Uh, she's usually up here with me, um, so we're together. We get to fly home on the weekend, be with our kids and grandchildren, uh, and then come back up here. Um, and, you know, every uh, month or two, you get a week uh, recess or a two-week recess to work back in the district, so I'm able to mm-hmm. uh, spend time at home. But, you know, being in Atlanta, such a short flight, I can leave here on a Friday. I can take a flight back on Monday, have the weekend to spend with family. You know, I really feel for those that serve from the West Coast because they can't go home every weekend because when it's, uh, you know, Friday to Monday, we're here Friday, have to be back on Monday. It's a full day for them just to fly out to California or Oregon or Washington State or Montana. And so they don't get to go home every weekend. That's why every other week. Uh, We balance it to where you get a four-day weekend uh, so you can have time to go back home. Um, But it is a balance. It's something that I emphasize with my colleagues. Take care of your family because that's really why I'm here is because I want my children and my grandchildren to have a nation that is free, safe, and full of opportunity. But they also have to have the stability of a family uh, that is there because no one's going to care for you more than your family does. Uh, and no, none of, as much as I love some of my colleagues here, ultimately they're here to represent a constituency that doesn't include me and my family. And so you always have to keep that family, uh, as a father, I have to be there for my kids, I have to consult with them, and I have to hold those grandkids. And so I'm one of the fortunate ones, the family is always a priority, but I can also include them in, in, in a lot of what we're doing.
0: Congressman Barry Loudermilk, who represents Georgia's 11th district, thanks for letting us visit today. Well, thank you
1: for coming. This has been K-Love Closer Look. Find us online at klove.com.